I want to go right into the book of Judges and just look at an amazing snapshot from, from the Old Testament. But I want to start actually in the book of Hebrews. So let's go with Hebrews chapter 11. And the goal of my message is to show you how faithful God is in the context of each generation. And that, in fact, I think is the goal of the writer of Hebrews with chapter 11. It talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. It goes all the way through Moses and Joseph. And uh, then it gets here to verse 32, chapter 11. And the person that's writing this and chronicling this and laying out the Hebrew history said, what more shall I say? And that's what, you know, every preacher, it's like, he said, for time will fail me. My time is running away from me. So I, I want to make the most of my time. And I want to fuel you and your faith with this amazing example of God's faithfulness in the life of Gideon. Kind of get an understanding of the context he was living in. The rendering down of the army. The preparation. The necessity to overcome insecurities and and get ready for God's blessing. I believe this is a season of preparation. And when we're prepared, if you're prepared, you'll do better in the steps ahead. And the Lord is the head of the church, and he actually will guide us and give us prophetic preparation. And he's, in fact, doing that now. And the Bible says that his eyes run to and fro throughout the earth, looking for men and women whose hearts are his, that he may strongly support them. And I share that over and over again because it's inspirational, but it's also a principle, a repetitive, emphatic understanding throughout the Bible that God has, lo has looked for people that will yield to him. He's looked for people that will trust him. I think that's the story of King David, that he just, he believed that God was merciful he believed that, that you were blessed, that your sins would be forgiven, and that God would give you a fresh start. And he kept running toward God because of that. Other people complicated it. King Saul complicated it and ran away from God. But David, when he fell, he ran toward God. He always fell forward. And the righteous get picked up seven times. So who's glad for the second chance? Who's glad for the nine billionth chance? Who's on the nine billionth? Uh, yeah, after you stay with God for a while, you'll see just how merciful he is. And aren't you glad mercy triumphs over judgment and that his grace is so overridingly, overreachingly awesome that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Super abundant grace is available to us. His grace, he's able to make all grace abound toward us so that we having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And so Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. These blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. The psalmist said, my cup runs over. So uh, we, we actually can expect an overflow. And I pray you get so filled that you get so informed, you get so built up today that your reservoir fills up and, and it, it begins to spill out and that your life in God, it, it, it gushing torrents of life-giving water flow out of you. The presence of the Holy Spirit causes you to think differently, causes, heightens your awareness of his presence. And I pray you experience God in such a joyous way. 
I pray those of us among us that have been dealing with some despair or depression would get a boost and get out of that because he's, he's the glory and the lifter of our heads. I pray that if you're in the pit, he redeems your life from the pit. And David said, though, even if I make my bed in hell, you're with me. So he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. The last part of Matthew chapter 28. Man, my cup is running over right now. I say, Pastor Jeff, time is failing you if you try to talk about Gideon. And I see it's already happening. The reason I want to share this is because I've been studying the book of Judges. And uh, I hit Judges 6, 7, and 8 about the famous story of Gideon. And because he's in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, uh, it says, he said, what shall, more shall I say? For time will fail me if I, if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and the Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Wow, Lord, I pray for, as we explore these truths, a spirit of wisdom and revelation would alight upon us. I pray while I'm speaking, your Holy Spirit who is the teacher, will quicken thinking and thoughtfulness in each person's life and a personal understanding and comprehension would be grasped. I pray you put meat on our ribs, sustenance into our tanks that we would be fueled in our life of faith. And I ask God that as we look at Gideon, we will derive tremendous encouragement from the life that you poured out on him in his earthly life. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the summary you know, of all these faith heroes. And uh, the author is running out of time. He says, time would fail me if I talked about Gideon. And he, so he's, he starts naming several names. He gave more, he elaborated a little bit more with Moses, spent a lot of time on Abraham and Sarah. But then he started to condense because he realized he was running out of time. And this was closing the end of the book of Hebrews. And so he just gave a snapshot. But then you go back to Judges Chapter 6, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. So we see Judges chapter 6, here's the scenario. Israel is oppressed by an enemy called the Midianites. And it says, well, we'll look at a, a little snapshots of this, but I want, I'm going to try to put this together in a condensed form to get the points across, but I want you to reads chapter 6, 7, and 8 for yourselves because I believe there's a prophetic parallel to Gideon and his army for this hour. And uh, I want you to understand and pay particular attention to God singling out Gideon and uh, 
I want you to understand the world is trying really hard to downplay the value of the individual. I've seen this in societies. The devil hates the value of the individual. The devil hates that you are created in God's image. So he tries to minimize it, trivialize it, blur it, confuse it, make it sort of neutralized. And uh, it fosters all kinds of problems when we just get into this sort of bland generality because God is actually calling us as individuals toward him and fellowship with him. And then the unique series of exploits and divine purposes that he has for each one of our lives. And that is colorful and that is fun and that takes faith. And uh, it, it causes us to shift from just assuming somebody else is going to do it. And it helps us to assume the responsibility that, hey, uh, I have a part to play. And God, I want to I walk in faith. And in fact, that's how Hebrews 11 starts. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence or the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval or a good report. Gideon had a good testimony. But Gideon didn't start out so great. In fact, the context was society was at a very oppressive place. Israel was, uh, was, had lapsed into evil, it says. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian. The sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. That's what it said in Hebrews, that they lived in caves. For it was when Israel had sown, they'd go out and plant crops, that the Midianites would wait till they grew, and then they'd come and the Amalekites and the sons of the east would go out against them, and they'd come in with their, with their camels, and they would steal the sheep, and they would steal the the livestock, and they'd steal the produce. They had camels, uh, which were like, uh, I don't know, like a Tesla. It goes zero to 60 in about a half a second. It's quiet, stealth. Camels are, camels are the old school Tesla. You just fuel them with hay, and uh, they don't make much noise. Anyway, they would rip them off, and uh, this is a terrible thing. It's, we're laughing, but this was really hard for the people. And... It, it, their livestock, their, it would be like locusts, and it was just overwhelming. Everybody say overwhelming. The atmosphere was toxic. It was heavy. It was dark. And um, it says in verse 6, Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Look at that. That verse 6 is so powerful. This is the, the turning point. Everybody say the turning point. I'm going to tell you, we're in a transitional moment right now, and... This is what it took. Israel cried to the Lord. They were brought very low, and they got their eyes on the Lord. And now it came about in that atmosphere of repentance, of calling on the Lord. One of the Psalms says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. And it says here, It came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. Everybody say, brought you up, brought you out. He's always bringing us up and he's always bringing us out. He's the one that lifts us out of the miry clay. He sets our feet on a rock. He redeems our life from the pit. Who in here has personally had experiences with that where God has brought you out of the pit? 
who has repented for things and God mercifully forgave you. Aren't you thankful that he loves us so much that he accepts us right where we're at, but he loves us so much that he won't let us stay there? And that we are his workmanship and that we're under his craftsmanship and that we are uh, clay on the potter's wheel. He's the potter, we're the clay. Israel, they were his people the sheep of his pasture. He was their father and he wanted to nurture them. He wanted to bring them forth. He delivered them out, uh, up out of Egypt and out of the bondage of slavery. And he puts them in a, a supernatural uh, reminder immediately. Look, this is what I've done. This is who I am. I want to remind you I am your deliverer. And that's the way uh, even they started praying in Acts chapter 4 when they were threatened by the people to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they went with their companions and had a prayer meeting. And the first thing they prayed was, God, you're the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all things in the sea. They didn't start with complaining. They didn't start with their petitions. They started with a, the, the proclamation and exclamation of how great our God is. We just sang how great is our God. And, and, and yet sometimes even it comes through feeble lips, like great is our God. But you know, he is great. And whether your heart is enthusiastic about it or not, whether you've been through so much oppression or not, they were definitely oppressed. And yet they cried out to the Lord. And one of the reasons I quote this poor man cried and the Lord heard him is because it shows that our Christian life is not based on our performance. It's based on God's goodness. And that we come in and sometimes we're at wit's end. Sometimes we're so depleted, and sometimes it's self-inflicted misery, sometimes it's imposed by others, sometimes it's just the circumstances of life, and yet we know our God will pull us up out of the pit. He is our Redeemer. He's the resurrection and the life, and since that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He'll give life to your mortal body. He'll raise you up. And the story of Gideon is so amazing. It echoes into this contemporary moment. And there's so many amazing parallels. The oppression as a result of failure in the society, man, it comes and it goes, it comes and it goes in seasons and cycles. People talk about systemic, cyclical things, and we certainly see the rise and fall of humanity and society, but we see the consistency and the faithfulness of the presence of our God. When God shows up, he changes everything. When Jesus shows up, there's fullness of joy. That Zerubbabel and Zechariah in their time, they, they knew that it wasn't going to be by might or by power, but it would be by the Spirit of God. And in the great uh, enlightenment and the colonial days of America, in the amazing outpouring uh, uh, through the Wesley brothers in Britain during the 1700s, with God moving on a lawyer named uh, Charles Finney, with the blessing of the Lord coming on the uh, turn of the century when so much change was going on, Gandhi in South Africa and, and India, with uh, the, the outpouring of, of Azusa Street and the, and the tonal turning point of the church, the, the earthquakes in, in San Francisco, but then the spiritual magnitude of what God was reverberating out of a prayer moment and how God took a hold uh, fast forward up into the early, late 60s. God's moving on some 
Pentecostal preacher that just had a wonderful experience with tent revivals and healings, got healed himself of tuberculosis, and Oral Roberts gets a vision to start a college in between the healing revival and what's called the Jesus movement, and in between, in a lull, he got an idea that is still category one impactful. There are people in this building today that were educated and trained in that environment that Jesus would be magnified, that God would be glorified, and he would be taken into every man's world. God took the seasons in season and out of season. And here Gideon is in a moment of oppression, had to have a little cave and go hide so he could keep the grain and protect it from the thieves. And yet Israel gets brought very low, but they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord hears them, responds by sending a messenger, and the messenger says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it is I who brought you up and out. And then in verse 9, I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. When we were ordained in 1980, my pastor laid hands on us and prayed for us and prophesied over us. And the thing that he prophesied, it was wonderful. There were people there from other places and they prophesied key things. But my favorite prophecy of that moment of impartation was the pastor that said, God is going to be your God. That is the best prophecy I've ever had given to me in my whole life. That has steadied me through so many trends in the church, so much peer pressure, so much uh, looking over your shoulder, looking in the contemporary world, looking in history, trying to look ahead prophetically. And it just has helped me to get my eyes on God, will always be your God, and he is God, and he always will be God. I talked to Stacy. She grew up in the Pentecostal church, and there was, a, there was an old Pentecostal hymn, God is God, and he always will be God. It's one of the best lyrics. I mean, it's like somebody would say, that's just so repetitive. Well, sometimes it takes repetition to get a concept. And you can look at the Bible, and it basically is repeating itself over and over and over again. God is God, and he always will be God. He's faithful to a thousand generations. And so we see faithfulness toward David. We see faithfulness in Gideon's life. We see faithfulness in Sarah and Abraham when she received the ability to conceive past the proper time. We see that that inspires us then when we feel like we're out of sync with things. We feel like life didn't go the way we thought it would. The life is not the way it's supposed to be. Life is the way it is. And we live in a fallen world, and it's skewed. Paul said we look through a glass darkly, eventually face to face. So I just talked to Raj, whose wife passed, and it, it, it's a loss. But not for her. She's present with the Lord. He'll work through it, too. God will strengthen him, wipe away his tears, bless his kids, and they'll come through 100%. But she's present with the Lord and, and knows she knows as though in a level, she's like, oh, that's what all this is. And I'm telling you, we're on the verge of a level of breakthrough and revelation. Knowledge will increase. We're about to see our spiritual lives tonally change. We're about to see God come into such focus. He's always present. And that the, the richness of our fellowship is going to improve the blessing blockers are being eliminated. That's what happened to them. God granted them repentance. They humbled themselves. They repented. And God was there to bring change, to bring uh, strengthening, and to bring skillful strategy. That's the story of Gideon. God wanted to do something. There were 32,000 
people of Israel in this concentration, and God had to filter them out. God had to deal with Gideon and get his unbelief and fear out of his life. He was sabotaged by reluctance, and his reluctance came from insecurity. He was blaming God. If God really loved us, why did all this happen? Where are the miracles? He was disgusted about the condition of the times, and he had to talk with God about it, and God mercifully kept overriding his unbelief by calling him a valiant warrior. You know, God sees you different than you see yourself. And I'm a big believer in having healthy self-esteem when it comes from the word and when it comes from who we are in Christ and knowing who he is. That's where the, 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 the revelation that I'm a new creature in Christ and that I've been washed by the blood of Jesus and that I'm different than I used to be. This is an epiphany. You're not who you used to be. You're a new creation in Christ. And that doesn't mean you're in denial about any of the past. It just means your past has been dealt with and covered by the blood of Jesus. And now you are raised up to walk in newness of life. He raises you up into a new level. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things pass away. All things become new. Some of you are tired. Some of you have grown weary. Some of you are just, it's like, what has happened to us. I remember the toxicity I felt in the atmosphere when I was a teenager in the late 60s and early 70s. It was so compelling that I cried out to the Lord. I was in in summer school. I think it was summer school when I found out a friend walked up and said, Jimmy, did you know Jimi Hendrix died? No. Uh, Janis Joplin died? No. Jim Morrison went over to Paris. He died? What? I mean, I grew up out there where they had those bands just right down the street. I remember when they came out. I remember their first albums. Pop culture icons were dying. And I was a young kid. I was like, what's going on? I saw the clash of culture. I saw the divide between between the generations. And yet God was watching, just like he was watching over Israel. And he was going, I'm going to raise up some Gideons. I'm going to get some things changed up up here. I'm going to answer the prayers of the saints. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to come in and swoop in on this thing and turn things around. And I remind you, he said, I brought you up and I brought you out. How many of you would say in times past, you've had some breakthrough in your life? Listen, hold to that. That's your testimony. Remember those times when God was really good. Be thoughtful about it. Just be grateful. Sometimes jot down before you go to bed three or four things you're thankful for. Recently, my wife and I, we, we were believing God for breakthrough. And we were really trusting the Lord and we were gaining breakthrough, but you could lose sight of it. So she and I were walking down a street out of town and she said, let's come up with and let's identify some things we've had breakthrough. And I said, okay. So she, it was fresher on her mind. You know, my mind was wandering. So I said, yeah, okay. So she started and she named one and then it prompted me and I named one. And then she named one I hadn't thought of and I named one and she went, oh yeah. And before you know it, we had seven, 11. And they were really significant. They were things we couldn't have done in our own power. They were things we were believing God for. They're things that God accomplished. And I'll tell you, it brought a richness. By the time we, from the time we started to the time we stopped, our whole focus shifted. And this, I want to say to you, when you see this oppression here, I don't want to stay stuck in Midian oppression. I want to show you, in fact, God didn't want them to stay stuck. They wanted to get, God wanted them to get over into a change. And God was calling Gideon to be the change agent. And I want to say, so you don't turn him into a superhero and a one-off. 
I want you to see the reason Hebrews 11 was written was so that we all could be stimulated that that God, in fact, is our God. And that whatever particular individual role was on, on Abel, on, on Enoch, on Noah, on Abraham and Sarah, and so forth, you realize that in all those seasons, what we read at the end of Hebrews 11, they didn't receive all that was promised. They're actually, it says later on in Hebrews 12, uh, in the grandstands of heaven, cheering us on, that we have a cloud of witnesses surrounding us that are cheering us on. And I think about Moses, the probability of Gideon, the probability of Abraham and Sarah, the father and mother of our faith, the loved ones you have that had gotten saved that are on the other side, they're cheering us from the grandstands of heaven in some sense. And just definitely in continually reading and feeding off of these truths, it causes us to understand some things about the nature of God and the way he calls us. He calls unlikely people during difficult times to do extraordinary things, not by their human power, not by human determinism, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's looking for people that will yield to him. He's looking for people that will delight in him. He's looking for people that will trust him. He's looking for people that will allow him to encourage them. He's looking for people that will make themselves available, repent quickly of every little and big and medium thing, carry no resentment, no ill will toward any others, and keep the switch of faith turned on for the long haul. And in fact, let's skip over to chapter 8, verse 4, because time will fail me if I talk about Gideon, and I'm almost out of time already. This is why I'm preaching this message. This verse stood out to me when I was reading these chapters. Judges chapter 8, verse 4, Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan River, and they crossed it. They didn't stagnate. They didn't get reluctant. They crossed it, weary yet pursuing. Everybody say, weary yet pursuing. We had a flood here. Not only did we have a flood here, we had a Good Friday tornado. It's such a, such a crazy term to even say. That Joe Kowalik, one of our staff members, on his video on his phone, he was looking at AccuWeather. And one of the police officers said, it's in Dardine Prairie. He was so panicked. I, 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 we didn't have a basement to go into. And I, I, so I said, hey, everybody. And I had to be a leader in this moment. On the way to church, I saw the sky turning green. It reminded me of Wizard of Oz, you know, and I thought, man, I come against this in Jesus' name. I was yelling at the storm because Jesus spoke to the wind and the sea, and I reckon we ought to do it too, command our mountains to be removed. When, when I got here, we had about a 1,000 people here, and uh, there were kids in church over there, and I thought, so I thought the only thing I could do is not panic and keep people away from the windows. We shouldn't go outside. We can't go into a basement. So I said this, hey, guys, you know what? There's a little bit of a wind out there, so I want you guys to use your chairs as an altar, and I want you to get down on your knees, and uh, you're going to get down there. We're going to pray, and God's going to cover this. And when the guy said, it's in Darting Prairie, it was kind of, it jolted me a little bit. Everybody got in the middle. Sky turned weird, weird sounds, and by the grace of God, according to Joe's video, we put it up on the screen. The storm parted like the parting of the Red Sea. And by the grace of God, there was a line right over our environment here, and God mercifully protected us. When it did alight, it landed up there in Bridgeton. Thankfully, no one was killed. I talked to the former chief of 
police of the city of St. Louis, and he was a big man, and his wife, he said his wife draped herself over him and pinned him down and held him, and, uh, and he said he had a come-to-Jesus moment. He said, I already was a Christian, but, man, I rededicated my life to the Lord. I'm telling you, this is a game-changer. His house was completely torn apart. Big, capable, burly man. I looked over at his wife. I thought, man, you married up. You married up. You, she laid, she, you, that's, that's the way my wife has been. She's helped pin me down through the storms, you know. Thank God for a godly wife. There's a lady here. I asked her to pray for me when I was working in a clerk job at a, at a clothing store. And this, I asked the lady when I found out she was a Christian, would you pray for me about a wife? And so I just want to say thank you for praying for me because now she's sitting next to my daughter and I have grandkids now. And it's great when you ask somebody to pray for you that's full of faith, you'll get a good result. Hallelujah, I, I scored a sweetheart. And uh, y'all ought to say amen to that, because I'm excited. <laughs> he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. How about that chief of police? There was another storm down in, in uh, South County, and there was a nine, both a couple, they were in their 90s. That was Wayne's girlfriend's parents. And uh, the, again, the woman got the husband into the bathroom, and she covered him while the to roof tore off. Uh, you can't make this up. Thank God for godly women that'll pin down and protect their... It's powerful, man. Thank God. Thank God for righteous men like Gideon that could come out of the fog. Listen, the story of Gideon is accessible to all of us because he was insecure. He was reluctant. He had some big questions initially. He initially didn't jump in on it. He wasn't, he wasn't like the people that are self-appointed, that think so highly of themselves and strut around. He was like the opposite. He was like, I don't know, man. He's same thing with Moses. Moses said, I, I don't even know how to talk. Peter, you know, the great apostle, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He was asking God to leave him. You know, and then he said, I would die for you. And Jesus said, you know, you're going to deny me. And he did three times. That's his testimony. He goes through the rest of his life and says, oh, yeah, I denied Jesus and cussed about it at the fire with the unbelievers. And yet God still flipped the keys to the kingdom to him. This ought to make you happy. This ought to make you feel included in case you don't feel like you're all that. I don't think William Seymour felt like he was all that during the Jim Crow segregation of 1900 when he didn't have the advantage of education and there was really weird racial attitude at that time. And God taps him out, blind in one eye, yet really touched by the Lord and hungry for God and he provides this amazing moment of leadership at a transitional time. Gideon, is, his testimony would be, let me tell you guys, my testimony is how good God is. That's what Mary, Mother Mary would say. She'd say, let me tell you, I was a little peasant girl, and I just said, be it unto me according to your word. Jeremiah would say, I was just a teenager, man. David would say, I was just a shepherd. You know, I see this in the kingdom. I see strange pharisaical behavior on people, and it never works for them. But yet I see God looking for people with a humble heart. I see people that make themselves available to the Holy Spirit. I even see like local environments that if we'll yield to God and humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he said he promises he will exalt us at the proper time. And so we humble ourselves because the meek are going to inherit the earth. And meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. And it's where we say, okay, uh, manager of the, of the store, barking at me because my mask was hanging on my ear while I was 40 feet away from everybody and I was talking to my wife and I was trying to breathe. 
I'll put it back on, even though you're not very gifted at communicating and barking orders at all of us all of a sudden. Uh, and I love being in America where I'm free, the land of the free, home of the brave, give me liberty or give me death. I'll put it back on, because you just tested me in the love walk. <laughs> and I'm supposed to count it all joy, right? And you got people looking at you ugly because you have a mask and because you don't have a mask. It's like, it's like uh, who's going to out-ugly each other? And we're the culture of the church. We've got bigger fish to fry. We've got bigger issues to engage in. We'll just go with the flow and let, walk in love and just stay out of unforgiveness and stay out of flipping out. You talking to me? I mean, we don't have to look in the mirror and go, you talking to me? You know, and flip out, go through these mental scenarios. And then I'll tell you something. Let me just say this to you. When you go away from a situation and you wish you had said this stuff, thank God you didn't. That was the flesh, and God delivered you from disaster. Once you let that cat out of the bag, it's hard to get that back in there. Oh, I should have said this. No, thank God you didn't. Hallelujah. Gideon said some crazy stuff here. Listen, it says in chapter 6, let's go back to it. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. He's in a cave, no windows. He's taking care of this wheat, trying to protect it from the others stealing it so he has some sustenance. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now this guy doesn't look like a warrior. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's in a cave. He's under oppression. But God sees him as a valiant warrior. Look at somebody next to you and say, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if, and if is the badge of doubt, if the Lord is with us, why then? See, this is why God, why? Why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord is going, uh, hello, I'm here right now, not abandoning you, never leaving you, nor forsaking you. But here you are, work through your little whiny deal. Then the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength. Deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So the strengthening was not his whining, of course, but it was the presence of God and it was the presence of the call of God. That was a strength. And God is present and God is calling us. And when God is present and God is calling us, we have the assurance that we're going to make it. Verse 15, he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. Don't we all deal with certain levels of insecurity over things? But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. Say that. Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat Midian as one man. I want you to pay attention to that as one man. Because in Hebrews 11 about, about Abraham, it said that similar phrase. And uh, you don't have to turn to it. I'll read it to you quickly because my time will fail me if I talk about Gideon. But it says here, oh man, this is good. Hebrews chapter 11, verse, I think, yeah, verse 12. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Everybody say through one man. One woman. 
One act of courage, one prayer of faith, one loyal moment of bold obedience, one release of prayerful, vision-saturated, destiny-enriched calling where you stand and say, Father, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe for this. I'm trusting that in Moses, in, in Moses' case, he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Paul's case, I must go to Caesar. If you study the Roman Empire, it was crazy. Tiberius, Caligula, uh, uh, Claudius. These guys were, it was fierce, crazy land. And Paul was called to go in there and get them out of idolatry. You talk about crazy Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar, crazy land. You talk about anti-Semitism, check out the Persian king Ahasuerus and wicked, evil Haman and his wife building a gallows in the backyard of their, of their property uh, to kill all the Jews. And God having to use this girl that got ready, the girl that made herself ready, that wasn't even of the Persian people. She was a Jewish lady. And yet God, in his glory and sovereignty, called her out along with her cousin Mordecai placed Mordecai in a place where he overheard a death plot to the king. He warned them. The, king, the, the king's people found and apprehended the perpetrators, wrote it in the Chronicles. One night the king was uh, in dealing with some insomnia, and he pulled out the Chronicles, and he was rereading some of the history, and he read about this guy that saved his life. So he came out, and he said the next day to Haman, hey, you know, there's a guy, if somebody did this and this for me, what would be the reward for them? And, and Haman was so self-centered, he thought it was for him. So he started naming off all kinds of great things. And he says, okay, bring me Mordecai. And Haman was, hated Mordecai. And God just, God vindicated. God turned it all around. And we watched the, the story of it. The book of Esther doesn't have any of the names of God in it at one, any point. But every sentence has it saturated with God. So much so that the Jewish people to this day, when they have their festival called Purim, they read the book of Esther. And in fact, at the end of the book of Esther, the Jewish people that are observant are told every year to retell the story of Esther. So now we Christians draw heavily from the stories of the Old Testament because that God is our God. And because, as it said in chapter 4 of Esther, Mordecai looked at her and said, keenly, who knows but that you've attained royalty for such a time as this, or you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And Gideon was having the same thing said to him, and he was full of reluctance. He was like, if God really loved us, where are the miracles? Why has all this happened? I feel like he was flatlined in his walk with the Lord. I feel like he wasn't prayerful. I feel like he had a bad attitude. Yet nevertheless, God was there saying, oh, valiant warrior, go in this your strength. And he was fanning the flames. A smoldering wick, God will not just snuff, snuff out. He'll fan it back to fire. And that's what he's doing right now. He's doing that. We call for revival. That's actually what's happening. God is bringing refreshing back to us. And he's fanning the flames to get the flames back up. One of my kids built a fire yesterday. I, I went out on a ministry visit. I came back late, and uh, the fire was going out. So I put another log on the fire. And I hyperventilated like a billow, bellows, and I blew that thing back up to where I thought it was going to scorch all my beard off. And uh, it was awesome. And I just sat in front of it, and it started to glow again. That which was going out started to get back on fire. And I could hear the pitter-patter of musical feet behind me. This means my time has failed me of trying to talk about Gideon. 
but I just want to say this to you. I asked Pastor Dritan Gashi what the Albanian Bible says about this verse. And he said, it says, even though they were weary and tired and consumed, they still endured and continued to chase after their enemies. And in fact, I'll close with this. There were 32,000 people available to Gideon. Then 22,000 were afraid, and they stayed back because of fear. And there were 10,000, and God said, they're too many, because you'll, you'll take the credit for it. So he said, I want you to go by the, the, the water, and I want you to drink. So all the thousands of people began to drink, but there were only 300 of them that picked the water up, brought it to their mouth, and stayed alert. The Bible says over and over and over again, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. It says over and over again, do a study on the word alert. Alert doesn't mean nervous. Alert does not mean anxious. Alert does not mean worry. But alert means heads up, eyes open, listening to what the Lord's saying. And we've got to delineate between all the words. There's so many prophecies in this modern day with blogs and messages. Anybody can get on a platform and say anything they want. And it would see to it that no one deceives you. You've got to go with the word of God. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And in the case of Gideon, he got a word from the Lord. It was really, it's in the scriptures. It's scripture. We've got Judges 6, 7, and 8. We've got Hebrews 11:32. Time will fail me if I talk about Gideon, but we must talk about Gideon in terms of how he started. Where it's like, man, I feel worn out and though weary, yet pursuing. And this, I found, is what God is actually looking for in this hour. The youthful exuberance got knocked out of me a long time ago. When I was a young minister, I stood on the scripture, see to it that no one looks down on your youthfulness. I don't have to stand on that anymore because I'm, not, I'm over 28 now. I don't have to use that, I, I had to use that scripture. People go, oh, little preacher boy, you're so on fire. Just wait till life comes up on you. One lady, a, one lady talked to me about this for days. I, I've had this since I was a child. I've had people try to talk me out of my calling. You can't even make this up. I had people corner me and sit down and lecture me for hours to demean me. And uh, you just have to overcome that. But you don't overcome that by, I'll show you, everybody. You know, because then that's weird, too. I remember one guy, I'll show you, little rock, this guy said, because he, he went out of there and they, little, they ridiculed him. And he, I'll show you. Well, that's like a weird, that's as much flesh as being all depleted and whining. You get to a place where it's like, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Let's all stand up. Weary yet pursuing. Let's all stand up on our feet and let's believe God that as we overcome 300 emerged and 300 that went with, with uh, Gideon, they, they were with him and they came to the Jordan and they crossed over. Can I tell you, crossing over is what's happening right now. It's what is about to take place in our lives, in your life. All your life experience fosters a testimony. Everything you've been through gives you street credibility increases your empathy, heightens your awareness of how challenging life is. Those of you who have been challenged by addiction, you understand the patterns of it, the susceptibility toward it, how it starts taking over. It's more than willpower. It starts getting a hold of your physical brain and you, you need the help of the Holy Spirit to get you through. 
and yet you found it and you have it and you know how to share it. There are people that are lost, that are attached to your obedience, that are cutting your hair, that are selling you groceries, that are seeing you at the gas station, that heard that you came through the hospital wearing a ventilator for three weeks and you survived and you got quite a testimony on you. You've got some life under your belt and those of you particularly who feel weary are still called by God to pursue. Here's six ways to do it. Put God first, keep your vision, stay committed, persevere every day, yield to the power of God and always praise.